Yeah, it's just like endless steep rollers. Yeah. yeah. And they and you're like you're like okay am, is this done yet oh no there's another one and it looks like a wall <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i knew that it or i'd heard that it was called the seven sisters and i even like tried to count i was like okay it must there must be seven rollers right and i, I lost count at 10 and i was, was like it, okay so it was one of them must seven. not have been, yeah it was way more than seven <laughs> What up, party people? First off, I want to give a big shout out to everyone we ran into this past weekend at the Schwamgen Mountain Bike Festival who let us know how much y'all are enjoying the show. It's super cool to hear that real people are tuning in each week to listen to us boneheads shoot the breeze about the latest happenings in the world of bike racing, and that definitely got us hyped up. So this week, we decided to mix things up a little bit since our boy Scott is still at World Champs, and instead of covering all the latest news, we're just going to talk about Schwamgen. To add some color to the conversation, we recruited a couple Midwest local pros, icons if you will, to come on and share their thoughts about how this year's race was crazy hard compared to years past. We've got previous winner Jenna Reinhardt and this year's Lutzen 99 winner, the one and only Josh Bauer. All right, let's get this Bong Pros party started. All right, what's up everyone? Got a couple guests on the show today. How's everyone doing? good how are you yeah cool yeah i'm good yeah this is awesome so i i put out a feeler on instagram trying to get some of the like local midwest pros to to come on the show today and talk about schwam again because we we had a pretty epic day out there and yeah actually so funny enough so we have josh bauer and jenna reinhardt here with us today and both of your names kind of crossed my mind when i put that out there um but i kind of wanted to like let it organically set in and see if there are people who like actually had things they wanted to say. Um, but yeah, both of your names, I mean, Jenna, you're kind of a staple of the women's field at Schwamigan by now and Josh, your upper Midwest local legend. So, uh, yeah, it's cool that this worked out that both of you guys are coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so Jenna, how many times have you done Schwamigan at this point? Uh, <laughs> I think probably 11 or 12. Okay. Wow. And, and Josh, I know you've done it a bunch. How, how about you? Do you know? Um, I would probably say, yeah, 10 times. Sick. I was, ta- I was talking to some people out there that said they had done it like 15 to 20 times. <laughs> Dude, it's a long race. My dad had done it. He did it 25 years in a row. Like, wow. You know, yeah. He, yeah. Yeah, it's a... I, I'm going to be honest, before the Lifetime Grand Prix, I had never heard of this race. yeah it's uh Uh, i I, so i so you guys are in the midwest but i'm 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 not in the midwest and i and uh i've only done a handful of races in the midwest but i feel like the midwest is in this bubble um where they you know they think that races like iceman are are basically the world championships um and not that Iceman isn't a big deal race or anything like that, but like Schwamgen is also a perfect example or order shore or whatever. And I feel like the Midwest is in this bubble and, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a tight community and, and the whole rest of the country has no idea what's going on up there. Yeah. It seems to get, the Midwest seems to kind of get ignored. I think a lot in the cycling mm-hmm. world, um, maybe because we don't have mountains, 
um, or big elevation. So I think people tend to <laughs> just kind of skip over it a lot. But we do have really good yeah. riders and, and really good terrain for riding. Yeah, it looked like the trails out there were sweet. I mean, we just stuck to the cross-country ski trails for the race, and I I just stuck to the cross-country ski trails while I was actually up there pre-riding and stuff, uh, which is kind of a shame because it looked like they've they, there's some new trails up there, and they've done a ton of work, and it, and they looked awesome, but I didn't touch them. Yeah, Camba Camba's really, really good. Um, there's a lot of events through like, like on Camba, like the it's now the epic bike fest but it used to be known as the bora epic that's 35 miles point to point that's probably one of the best like single track races i think that's available in the midwest they also do like mm-hmm. uh 100 which is 100 miles of all that camera trail it's like literally every trail out there that's a big day i haven't done that one yet but that's like on the calendar but camba uh, has done a lot of really cool things and it's really cool to see it there's so much trail out there yeah some of the best xc trails around i think i've ridden all over the country and the dirt up there the soil is just so good for getting good hookup and um really good flow yeah no huge sustained climbs but you don't really need that to have good good time on xc trails so yeah sure yeah, then you've got you've got world class fat biking in the winter too. Do they do they groom some of those trails up there too in the winter time? Yeah, it's fully yeah. groomed. I don't know yeah. if like I don't know if I don't know if like every bit is groomed, but most some of it most of it is groomed. And then they have like the fat bike Berkey, which is like just you know yeah pristine like cross just skiing trails groomed, and you race on that. It's pretty fun. That's was kind of crowned the. Uh, U.S. National Fat Bike Championships, and they had that for three years before USA Cycling decided to get involved. But um, the first yeah. year, yeah, like Ned was there, Rebecca Rush was there. It was, it's a big, it was a big deal when fat bikes were really coming out. Yeah, and, and I I was talking with another kind of local legend, Corey Stelgis, a couple weeks ago at another race that we were at. And he was saying that the average speed of like fat bike Berkey is actually like even faster than it is for Schwamigan. Cause it's like groomed so perfectly that like the winning speed is always like 18 plus miles an hour, which is just bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it sounds so fun. Like those trails, like I think that that route that we, you know, ride for, for Schwamigan that we'll talk about here, I think it would actually be even more fun in the snow. Like if it was perfectly groomed and, you know, super fast track like that sounds like an awesome time. Yeah, it's super, super fun. fun. All right, well, should we should we talk Schwam again then? Should we get into it? Let's do it. Sure. So, so you guys obviously have rich history with this race. Um, last year was my first time doing it, uh, but even you know, last year, uh, you know, and it sounds like from previous years, like you always get a, a couple, you know, handful of big names that'll come out to the event, um, but for the most part, it draws like a pretty pretty expansive Midwest crowd. Uh, that, you know, the pro field is super strong still, but, uh, mostly just getting, you know, different backgrounds, you know, roadies, cyclocross, mountain bike, a little bit of everything. Um, but all from kind of the upper Midwest area that, that comes out for the race. Uh, this year though, we had the lifetime grand prix come through and that sort of changed everything. Um, I want to hear your guys's, what, what you guys were expecting before the race, 
uh, as far as like, you know, knowing that the elevation of the competition was raised quite a bit. Um, but I want to hear like what you guys expected before. And then like, we'll talk about how it kind of played out in actual, you know, in the race. Yeah. Um, uh, go ahead, Jen. Yeah, you go. You go, go ahead, Jen. Oh. You can start. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, there has, yeah, it's definitely been, you know, attracted the top of the Midwest for sure every year, but, um, there's always been some fast pros that show up. Um, occasionally, uh, Leah Davison's done it a bunch. Uh, Chloe Woodruff has been back for it. Um, so, Occasionally you'll get some of those mixed in, but yeah, otherwise mostly Midwest. So when I saw the roster, um, I was pretty nervous. <laughs> I had to kind of reset my expectations of, um, I haven't raced at that level for probably 10 years. So, um, just kind of hoping maybe I could crack the top 10 was kind of my, my new goal going into it, but also really excited for the women's field because, um, for years, Schwamigan was just always a mass start. Uh, they started us, um, with the men, uh, which was fun. I really liked it, but it became a race of kind of hiding from the other women and just getting in a really fast group of guys and, um, just kind of getting sucked along on a lot of those gravel roads. So the last two years they separated the women's field, but the field wasn't very deep. So it was, uh, not super exciting race. So I was really excited to race with a, a strong pack and um just having like 15 of us out there and all really fast women was really cool yeah so i was going to ask about that so we we dylan and i did a pre schwamigan show and we had reigning champion melissa rollins on um and she was telling us how last year yeah same thing like it was you know the first year that the pro fields were separated and then the women uh you guys had your own like 30 minute head start from the men's field and she said that you guys broke away just the two of you, like super early in the race, like early on, like in Rosie's field, which is probably 10, 15 minutes into the race. And then it was just the two of you kind of duking it out for the rest of the time. So I can't even imagine how much different this year must have been to go from, you know, just the two of you battling it out to like this year, like just fighting for positions all of a sudden throughout the whole race. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It was super lonely last year because, yeah, we didn't even. The year before, they separated the pros, but they started the pro men and women together. So at least we got to like roll out of town, and then we were with the backpack of the men's pro men's pack. Um, but yeah, then last year we just broke away in Rosie's field, and Melissa went with me, and it was just us two. And there's nobody on course. There wasn't even anyone at the top of Fire Tower. I don't think last year. Oh. <laughs> this year there was there was a little bit more fans out there, so um, that was exciting too. But yeah, this year it was just the first half of the race was just fighting per, for position the whole time it reminded me more of like a road race if you're not constantly striving to move forward you're like finding yourself all of a sudden at the back of the pack uh pretty quickly yeah cool that sounds a lot more exciting yeah <laughs> for sure so, so what about you josh so you know coming in knowing how stacked the field was did you have any expectations or you know, um, my, ex- or anything? my expectations definitely, uh, my result dropped down from what I had previously wanted to do at Trombegin for the years I raced, knowing that the field was so stacked. Um, I kind of had a little bit of taste for what the competition is gonna be like when I did Leadville this year. Um, obviously like Leadville didn't go that well for me. I just really sucked at elevation. So I was like ready and wanting redemption at Trombegin. Um, but yeah, like knowing, the field the way it was 
I was like definitely expecting to not finish as good as I, you know, previous years before. So like I was like goal, like top, top 25 was like my goal. And I felt like that was able, I was able to do that. And knowing the people that were ahead of me, like, you know, they're just on another level than I am. So that was like kind of my expectations into it. Obviously I wanted to obviously do way better than that, but you know, had to have different goals. So, yeah. And, and what about like, did you, did you anticipate the, like the start of the race playing out the way that it did? So, so normally in years past, there's a neutral rollout, uh, where you're on pavement for eight, 10 minutes or so before getting into the ski trail. Uh, this year they started us like straight up a grass hill, uh, no neutral rollout, just kind of XC start straight into it. Um, yeah. Did you uh, did, did, I did you anticipate anything there? I didn't know they were doing that until Friday, like Friday night. I heard that they were doing that instead of the rollout, and I was really confused. And then I like looked it up, and it was the same start as like the the Epic Bike Besser Bora Epic for this year, and I knew how hard that was. So I knew the start was going to be harder on Saturday's race. So like my goal was just like hold on to the lead grip as long as I could before I kind of like couldn't ride it them anymore. And, you know, I, I think I lasted maybe like a mile and a half before I was like, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. Like it was so fast. It was just so fast and so hard. Yeah. I think I much, I much would have preferred the typical neutral rollout because yeah. it was a full on XC style start. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a brief period of time where I was trying to be an XC racer, and that was always my Achilles heel. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the start. Yeah, like for me too. Like I, I, I raced XC for such a long time, and then like um, moving to across the world and racing on the road, like it, it's hard to get back into that like snap of being able to hold a certain speed for like that first five to ten minutes, and just like having your heart rate, you know keep it in, you know, keeping it, keep trying to keep it low, but it's just like so hard. It was, yeah, it was a really fast start. I mean, I just like, I looked, I would, I didn't have a power meter on my bike, but like I looked at all the other people's like power and I'm just like, holy crap. Yeah. This was super, super hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was absolute balls to the wall for, I don't know. I mean, I think I probably got drop it, drop from the front group like uh, i don't know 15 minutes in mm-hmm. um which is pretty insane Gen- so yeah. yeah jenna was it pretty like i'm sure it's tough for you too but like how did that play out for you yeah um i like you didn't really find out that the start was different until i don't know similar time frame maybe thursday or something and then i got even more nervous uh just knowing that well, I looked at the map and I was like, Oh, that's the same start that we did for the Epic, which was yeah. hard <laughs> full on. Um, and I saw the roster and there was a couple women that, um, were fresh off the world cup and world championships. Um, they didn't do the lifetime grand prix, but they came back for this race since their, the world cup season was over. And I was like, Oh crap. Like they know how to start hard. Like, <laughs> you, you know, you're racing an hour 15 world cup races all season. Like you got to have your start dialed. So, um, yeah, our start was intense. Um, and then, 
I don't know, probably the first seven miles or so were just like pretty full on until we kind of hit some gravel and then people sat up a little bit, but, um, I didn't have a chance to like look back or see how big our group size was. I was just so focused on holding, holding those wheels. And, um, I think, uh, my husband was out feeding and he saw me like six times on the course and he saw me pretty early on and said I had like drool coming down my face and he was like, Oh gosh, <laughs> it must be really hard if she's already got that. And it's like not that far in the race. yet. Yeah. I just, I remember the first like half hour, like I could just not catch my breath. I was breathing so hard and it took me a long time to recover from the start. It, yeah. I don't know. In years previous, it was definitely never this hard. So it's like really exciting that we had this in the Midwest, like at Traumagen. Um, definitely. I mean, I don't know. It was definitely a bummer that it was so hard, but it's cool that this race got the, you know, the, the star power did. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, have you guys, so, so for any of the listeners who don't know, the, the conditions were super epic. So, uh, leading into the, into the race day, uh, Dylan and I got to town like Wednesday. So we started kind of pre-riding the course Wednesday and from Wednesday through Friday, like our three pre-ride days, it was super dry, super fast, uh, extremely bumpy. Um, it wasn't like that the, there were rocks and roots and stuff to ride over, but like just the ground is super lumpy and like you're riding through like grass fields. So you're like riding over grass clumps and stuff. So like the whole course was super bumpy. Um, but then about an hour before our race start, so our race started at, uh, well, the women started at 1230, so maybe maybe half hour before that even or something. Um, it just downpoured like crazy hard uh, for not that long, maybe 15 minutes. Um, but it was, you know, we, we were staying near the start. So it was in cable, point to point race. So in cable, I mean, sorry, in Hayward where the start was, um, it rained really hard. And then about halfway through our race, it downpoured again for maybe, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes. I don't really remember. Um, but it really hard again, like in the middle of the race. So that completely changed everything. Like Dylan and I thought that this was going to be like total record breaking year, you know, winning time was going to be like 145, 150, like extremely fast. Um, that turned out not to be the case at all. Have you, either of you guys that have raced this here a bunch, had you ever done the race in that muddy of conditions? Like, you know, that severe of, of conditions before? Um, yeah, a few years ago, it was like super dry and dusty pre-riding and overnight it rained like it was crazy. It rained like six or eight inches. There's a couple of different stories you hear, but, um, just an insane amount overnight. And it was interesting though. That was the year where they, years where they started everyone together. So it was, um, big mass start off the front. So the fastest people were, um, obviously at the front. And all I remember is like the Berkey trail, you'd hit the bottoms of the Berkey trail and there'd just be massive puddles and you like, you didn't know how deep it was. So you just kind of like grip your bars extra tight and hold on for dear life, like make, hoping you're going to make it through. But, um, what I remember is that it wasn't that muddy cause the course wasn't torn up cause we were the first riders to go through it. So, um, I had some friends that finished more towards the back of of the race and they said that like there was no grass left on the Berkey rollers and you had to like you couldn't even barely walk up it so I think 
where you were in the race really changed the conditions. So because they started the pros after 2,000 people already went through the whole course, like made it even worse. Mm. Yeah, so probably the fact that the pros were going after all the amateurs made our course way worse than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. yeah. You could just see like where we joined with the short and fat course. Like yeah. you had all those riders on that same, like that last like sections of mm-hmm. ski trail. Like it was even <laughs> more destroyed. I felt like. Yeah. It felt like a cyclocross race. That's exactly what I say. I'm like, it was like a two hour, two and a half hour cyclocross race, but just like mm-hmm. on mountain bike tires, it was, it's, um, like my previous years of racing, I've had like muddy years, but not nothing this muddy. It was like, a yeah, yeah. I'm very new Schwamigan. So it is, it's just yeah. so crazy because like, I also rode on Friday so dry and I was like, Holy crap, this is gonna be so fast. And like Adam and Dylan both said like, yeah, it's going to be under like two hours. I thought the same thing. I'm actually still really impressed at, you know, what, um, two hours and six minutes was the winning time. That's still really fast on how muddy it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I said this, like, if you just looked at the tires that people were running, you could tell that no one was expecting it. Um, I was, I was saying like Keegan has the, uh, the Aspen, the, the, not just the Aspens, the Aspen, what are they? ST, Aspen ST. ST. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, they're even more file tread than the regular Aspen. Um, (laughs) they're super, like uh, super gnarly looking. Um, like it looks like, it looks like uh, instead of the normal aspen tread in the middle, it just looks like a, kind of like sandpaper in yeah. the middle type tread, um, which I, I can't think of a worse mud tire. And I remember <laughs> sitting on the I remember sitting on the starting line, and his mechanic literally had a spare wheel set with normal aspens on them right there. <laughs> and I was like, dude, most of us are running the tires we're running because we've got one wheel set and we can't switch tires and. 30 minutes before the race you got a spare wheel set with the right tire right there what are you doing yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder yeah. how uh, like i wonder if it didn't rain during the middle of our race like how different it would have been like mm-hmm. i i know it was like still you know it was pretty muddy but like even the rain that we had in the middle of the race like i think that played a huge part of it as well i don't know if it like mm-hmm. rained in cable or not because like as Jenna was saying, like the last two miles in the Berkey, I don't know if that's Berkey trail or not, but like that was so just ruts everywhere. And yeah. it was so slow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so maybe we could talk a little bit about like how the, the pro men's and women's race played out. Um, uh, Jenna, you want to start with the women's race since you were actually in the thick of things? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, the start was, yeah, brutal. <laughs> I never really looked back, just kind of uh, kept hanging on. I, My husband was standing right at the bridge where we go across 77, and mm-hmm. he was kind of – I could see what position I was. I was in the top 10 right there, so I knew where I was there. Um, so I would get sometimes, like, some numbers from him or some time splits, but um, it wasn't until we hit the first gravel road, which I don't remember what mile marker that was at, but – um, it was I, about mile 10 or so, okay. nine, nine or 10. 
okay, yeah, then the pace kind of, it you could kind of sit in and just <laughs> take a little breather. And um, that's when I kind of first looked around a little bit more. And we had about a group of 15 of us. And then we hit um, some more ski trail after that. Pace was super hard. Um, and then eventually it got whittled down to about 10 of us until we hit mile 18 or so. Um, Martel's Pothole is, I think, what that's called. Or it's like an ATV trail. Um, and I actually never realized it rained that hard because I stayed, like, where I stayed um, to overnight was like in Sealy, which is about halfway. And I drove to Hayward and it just sprinkled on us. Like it never dumped, but I did see the roads were wet, but I didn't realize it rained. Like we never got rained on that hard. So when I got to that Mm -hmm. section of the course, I was like, holy crap, what happened out here? Like I just had no idea the course was going to be in that kind of shape. But, um, yeah, when we hit that ATV trail, the field, uh, people were crashing left and right. Sophia had a pretty good crash and, uh, I luckily kept it upright and just, uh, yeah, it was just, she, she mentioned that she made a really poor tire decision, which everybody made a poor tire decision, but that was, um, I don't know what she was running for tires. I think it was maybe more of like a gravel tire. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I saw Ryan Standish actually had gravel tires on his mountain bike for this race. (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she comes from a mountain bike background, so you you could tell, like, in our group mm-hmm. when we hit that first section of ATV trail, you could tell who had more of a road background versus a mountain bike or cyclocross, and, you know, sure. those riders were definitely, the road riders were struggling way more. Um, so, yeah, then we rode that, and then um, kind of after we got out of that, it we hit another gravel road, and um, I just tried to find a couple nearest riders uh, and there was a couple up the road for me so I dug a little deep got on their wheel and um, worked with them for for quite a while it's an area where you still don't really want to be by yourself (laughs) if you don't have Mm -hmm. to but um, from history of racing this race I always think that the hardest part of the race is actually after fire tower Um, fire tower is hard and that's usually where things start to separate but um, the Berkey trail after fire tower I think they call it maybe the seven sisters or some is another name for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something like that is in my history of doing the race. Like that's usually where the race starts to blow up or where it's decided or the separation happens. So yeah, it's just like endless steep rollers yeah. and yeah. they, Thick grass and you're rollers. like, you're like, okay, am, is this done yet? Oh no, there's <laughs> another one more, there's and it more. looks like a wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew that it, or I'd heard that it was called the seven sisters and I even like tried to count. I was like, okay, it must, there must be seven rollers. Right. And I, I lost count at 10 and I was, was like, it, okay, what, so it was one of them must seven. not have, been, yeah, it was way more than seven. <laughs> yeah. 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 To me, that's always brutal. Like every year that I've raced it that's a lot of times if you're with other people or even when I race it and I was mixed with a lot of the guys like you're either going forward or you're going way backward at that section so I maybe conserved a little much prior to that but I just wanted to make sure I had enough going into that section and um, I was with two other girls I felt really strong um and at the top of it we kind of crested that last feed zone together and I just kind of broke away from them after that and I tried to look back but I had so much mud in my eyes and on my glasses like I had my glasses at the tip of my nose all day just to try to help but 
I couldn't really see anything. So I just kind of kept riding like someone was really close. Um, even though I think the gap ended up being more than I realized at the end, but so the last seven or eight miles I rode solo and, um, wasn't really sure what place I was in, but, uh, ended up being seventh after at the end. Nice. And Sevilla ended up winning by quite a bit. You know, do you know when she broke away? It was in that like Martel's pothole, that first ATV section. So 18, 19 miles in or so, I think. Um, Wow. That's pretty early. Whenever. Yeah. Whenever I think that's hearing some of the men's reports, I think is kind of when a lot of stuff separated Mm -hmm. for the men there too. But, um, yeah, you can, it was really hard to stay in a group in that section and she hit, I think she entered that section in the lead and just kind of read her report like she wasn't planning on really breaking away from the group that soon, but just how it worked out because of the conditions, I think. Sure. Yeah. That section was so, that that section was really tough because like, I don't know, the Berkey before that wasn't like too bad. It was muddy, but like that was just like Mm -hmm. a whole level. And like some of the turns, you're just like foot out sliding both tires. You're just like, well, hopefully I make it like, (laughs) Yeah, that was that was the first section that we got in that I was like, oh, this is a cyclocross race yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not this is I mean, it looked like the worst cyclocross conditions you you know, yeah. you'll typically see in a cross race. Yeah. That's super muddy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and similar to you, Jenna, like like I noticed the riders around me, I think I was in a group of like maybe ten or so going into that ATV section. And I could tell right away which riders were comfortable riding in the mud and which riders were like, had no idea what to do. Um, like anyone who was using their front brake at all, like they were crashing and you, you knew that they weren't going to last. Um, then like anyone who was like using their brakes in general, like straight down the descent, like they weren't going to last. Like it was like, it was the riders who were comfortable. Like they knew like what to, how to handle like slipping and sliding and stuff uh, that were like able to like, there were like three of us that, you know, kind of separated from the big group. And then eventually I separated from all of them. But yeah, you could tell like right away, like even mountain bikers don't, don't ride in those conditions very often. Yeah. Uh, mostly because mm-hmm. like trails are closed when, when it's that muddy. Yeah. So like it really like, you, you know, it's kind of unique to, to get the chance to ride a mountain bike in those kind of conditions. And it definitely takes a certain skill set to be comfortable with that. It was, it's like, it's really exciting to do that after like racing the cross race on 33 mil, like 33, you know, tires. And then just like going to like a 2.3 and just be like, Oh, this is like kind of a piece of cake. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it still wasn't, but like, it was just so much easier than like a, you know, a narrow cyclocross tire. So yeah. And a fully rigid bike. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've heard. So I've heard some people say that skinny cross tires are actually better in the mud because it like cuts through it. I, I don't race cross, so I don't have an opinion I on think, this. But. I think it depends on the type of mud. Me personally. Yeah, and probably the, the terrain too. Like if you're just talking mud through like a grass field, that's like, oh, yeah. you know, there's nothing to run into. Like that's different. But like in this where it's like, you know, you still had to navigate rocks and roots and mm-hmm. uh, dips and all, all different kinds of stuff. Like the mountain bike tires were, were nice because you could just tractor roll over everything yep. um, and not really have to worry about it. Um you know, cross tires and gra- muddy grass probably rolls faster and, and maybe holds the line a little bit better. But uh, this was kind of more just like being super comfortable letting it loose. Yep. Like you just had to let it go. Yeah. One thing I think, too, is the soil is it's, is sandier up there. So I think 
having a little bit of that sand mixed in with the mud like made there be some traction. Um, I live in southern Minnesota and our our dirt is very different. It's got a lot of clay in it. So if it gets wet mm. at all, it like you wouldn't be able to ride that at all uh, <laughs> in southern Minnesota. So I feel like even though it was muddy and challenging, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Riding, riding clay mud is horrible. Yeah. We all, we all would have been running. Oh yeah. And it collects <laughs> to your bike too. Yep. So it like would just, I mean, yeah. as it was, my bike felt like it was 40 pounds when I finished the race. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I felt that that bit of rain that we got in the middle maybe helped with that too Uh, because it was like right before that point where it seemed like the mud was kind of starting to clump up a little bit like and get real heavy, Um, and then it was like sticking to your bike. And then by the time it stopped raining, like my bike was almost clean again all of a sudden, and then it was super slick, like it made everything really slippery after that, but at least it it kind of helped prevent uh, the mud from sticking to the bike quite as much. Mm I, I don't remember ever thinking, oh, my bike's clean again. <laughs> so I, it, it's I was it riding rain. through the puddles just trying to get it to, to clean off <laughs> okay. at times. Yeah. It didn't rain on us in the women's race, so oh, it rained nice. on you guys. I didn't realize the guys you guys got rained on. I think yeah, some rained, people got rained, rained hard. on. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe the leaders probably didn't get rained on, but like I got rained okay. on right before Fire Tower. Basically, I was at, I was at Lake, uh, Lake Helena. Helene? I think Helene, yeah. Um, and that's when it started pouring on me. It was like pouring. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we. it was totally dry <laughs> for us. Okay, huh. so yeah, the rain must have stayed kind of south yeah. half the course. Then. I mean, I, I think that in general that day, the thunderstorms were super local, right. you know? Yeah. I mean, you could be, you could be uh, 15 miles away and not have any idea that it rained. Yeah. Right. True. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess we can move on to. So, kind so of the... yeah. So Dylan, so before we, I'm just going to read the top five women here. Um, Cause we talked about yeah, Sevilla. Yeah, so Sevilla won. She won by uh, over three minutes on Rose Grant, who was second, Kelsey Urban third, Alexis Scarda fourth and Haley Smith fifth. Um, and mm-hmm. second through fifth were, only separated by about two and a half or about a minute and a half. So that was super tight race down to the end for top five. Um, and then our girl yeah. Jenna here, seventh at only seven minutes back of Sevilla. So you were, you were right up there and you were, um, yeah, only two minutes off podium. So awesome job, Jenna. Thank you. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Three minute gap on a course like that is very impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. Should we talk about the men's race? Yeah. So, Dylan, let's hear from you a little bit. So, you know, you're part of the Lifetime Grand Prix. So you coming in, um, you know, you had your own expectations and and hopes for, uh, you know, certain results and whatnot. Um, But this was a completely different type of race than what you've been doing for the Lifetime Grand Prix series up to this point. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done a two-hour bike race in, unless you count like training races, which I don't. <laughs> uh, I haven't done a two-hour bike race in probably six years. So, and uh, there's a reason why I 
quit trying to be an XC racer. <laughs> and I and I remembered why after I did this race. <laughs> and I thought I prepared super well for it too. Like I did a ton of VO2 max efforts leading into it. Um, I had this really funky bike setup that I thought would help me. And it probably did help me, but certainly not enough to make up for the fact that I just didn't have the the power off the line that everybody else, uh, or at least the top 20 did. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I, I probably got dropped from the front group 15 minutes in and, and then I got, I was probably in the second chase group and we worked well together. Uh, Tobin was in there, Keel, um, chase work. Uh, we were, we were working pretty well together. And then it kind of split split up after Fire Tower. I think I dropped a chain at one point, and oh, and Lance was in there as well. Lance just he was he was the fastest up Fire Tower out, out of our group. Um, so and then I came in, I think twenty first. So de- like I pretty pretty uh, pretty much what I've been doing in the lifetime races this year. Yeah, and and again, like we. You know, when we were pre-riding and stuff, like we were, you know, like you had your drop bar mountain bike. So you were kind of like working on aerodynamics and stuff, you know, anticipating the speeds were going to be super high. And like, yeah, I mean, you know, leaders, you know, winners still came in at two hours and six minutes, which is, you know, still mm-hmm. super fast. Um, but not near the breakneck speeds we were expecting. Um, and, and I think, I think that probably like the conditions changed how the race uh you know like the the demands of the uh you know physical demands of the race um quite a bit different too you know so like a lot more kind of like tractor pull diesel efforts and then there were like you know but then on top of that you're like just trying to get traction going up steep climbs and you know pushing the power super high and then like you're still having to pedal the descent so i mean it was like i mean it was a super physically demanding race. Like I got done and I was like, that was the hardest two hour bike race I'd ever done. Like, like Josh was alluding to, you know, like last year was hard, but it wasn't, it didn't feel nearly as hard as this year. Like last year, there were times where the front group, you know, felt pretty easy. Like we were just kind of chilling in the, in the group. Like it, it wasn't that hard. Um, this year, like it, it never really felt like, because, and I think cause the conditions, like there was never any letting up. Like the course was just relentless the whole time. Yeah, I think probably the conditions made it a little bit less tactical. Although you know the the front the front group was pretty sizable for most of the race. Um, from what I've heard, there was a lot of a lot of back and forth, a lot of uh, a, a lot of you know the rate the the group would just blow up and then it'd come back together. Uh, at one point, I think Keegan crashed and and uh and uh took out Payson. Payson was like all bandaged bandaged up after the race. Um I think it was the other way around, but yeah. Or did yeah. or did Payson take Payson out took out Keegan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. do, you guys, do you guys know where that um, was? Was that like near the end? Because I, I thought it, I I read that it was like kind of near the end of the race. Yeah, so yeah, it, it was, was pretty, after it was pretty close to the end. Yeah, it was after Fire Tower. Okay. You know, somewhere in between Fire Tower and then that that last section of of berkey yeah um so it must have been like in that seven sisters kind of area just which is yeah. like strange to me because like i mean like i don't know 
Maybe they were. Maybe they were just I, I like thought. I thought that. that part of the race was was like relatively tame mm-hmm. relative to the rest of the course, at, at least technically. I agree yeah. totally. But uh, it was a pretty eventful finale. Like it, I guess uh, Keegan, Keegan, and um, what's his name? Forgetting the. Riley, Riley Amos were like going for the sprint. Keegan, Keegan crashed and kind of slowed down Riley, which opened the door for Braden Lang to just come through and take the win. Um, so first lifetime Grand Prix race that Keegan has not uh, taken the full 30 points at. he didn't win unbound, but he was the first lifetime Grand Prix rider. Um, I was kind of, going in, I was kind of thinking if there's any race that Keegan probably, I, he's still the favorite, obviously, but if there's any race where he probably has the worst shot of winning, it's probably this one, just because it likely comes down to a sprint finish and it's the shortest one. Um, it seems to me like he would have won had he not crashed. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I sh- like I said, he should have thrown on those regular Aspens. I don't really know what he was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and he he crashed in the final corner. So the the race ends like uh, you come out of the Berkey Trail, you like take a left into this like kind of you know grass descent, and then it's like a sweeping right hand corner into the finish shoot. And he he washed out in that final right hander before the finish shoot. Jenna, were you there? Like, did you see all this happen? Because you were at the finish, obviously. Yeah, I had just finished, I don't know, not too much before. And, you know, when you finish, you're kind of (laughs) just trying to collect yourself and chatting with the other racers. And so I I think I realized that all of a sudden the men were coming, but I think the crash had already happened by the time I looked up. And then I just saw the, the sprint right at the end, but... Okay. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, it would have only been like two minutes after you finished. So, yeah, uh, yeah, probably weren't <laughs> focused on that yet. <laughs> Trying to get the mud out of my eyes so I could see better. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is how wild Braden's win is. And by the way, huge props to Braden for taking the win here. Um, but he, I, I don't think that he's been in the top ten at a lifetime Grand Prix race this year so far. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know, Adam. Do you know off? Yeah, I was but looking I, at that I, early. I don't. I don't think so. I think you're right. Like he's he's been right right around where I've been. In fact, he was one place behind me in the Grand Prix before this race. So I, I've actually raced him quite a bit uh, this year. I don't think that he's broken the top ten at a Grand Prix so far this year. And then out of nowhere, wins the race. And I I texted him a little bit after the race, and he said, "Yeah, it was quite unexpected." Um, I don't know. Maybe he's just, maybe he's just better at shorter races. Maybe he's really good at riding in the mud or, or he's also a super young rider. So maybe he's like slowly building fitness throughout the season. I don't know, but either, either way, it's super impressive for sure. Yeah, I mean, especially, especially like the way it happened too. Cause 30 seconds before the finish, he also didn't expect to win. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like, right. you know, it, it he, took, a sequence of events, the way that it happened for him to even have a chance at winning. And he, and he came out on top and it was crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, like it, I it mean, very he, much should have just been Keegan and Riley sprinting out for the finish. And then Braden maybe trying to sprint for, for the last po- or third place, you know, on the podium. Yeah. yeah. He probably would have gotten third at, uh, yeah. Had Keegan not crashed. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he didn't, he didn't know he was going to win the race until like literally uh, two seconds before crossing the line. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I was, I was looking at the grand prix standings and I thought it was so crazy. I was like, dude, now that he won a race, I mean, he's, he probably jumped so many places. I think he went from 17th to 14th, which blows my, I blows my mind. I guess that's linear points for you, but, uh, I was shocked that he wasn't higher after that win. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's 14th in the standings. His best finish before this was at Leadville. So he was 12th there. Um, and, and his worst, his worst was 21st at Crusher. So he's throwing that one out. Um, but yeah, 12th, 14th and 18th were his other, other scores that are counting right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, it is crazy. Like the way that the points are distributed that, uh, you know, they don't give any extra weight to winning or, you know, top places. Um, you know, it's kind of, kind of awarding people who are more consistently towards the front, but not necessarily having to win the races. But yeah, I mean, he's 14th and like, it'll be tough for him to probably crack the top 10 even. Like it, mm-hmm. he'd have to have another breakout race and some other riders would have to have some pretty bad races for him to even get into the top 10. So it's, it's very possible if Keegan wins big sugar, that he could be the only person to beat Keegan all season and not even get into the top 10 of the overall, <laughs> which is wild. Yeah. Uh, I wrote it. Yeah. Barely. I barely wrote it, but I, I think honestly, what helped me is that I had uh, I had Lance in front of me, and uh, he was absolutely motoring up. He probably put twenty seconds into me on the fire tower climb, <laughs> and uh, there were multiple times where I thought about getting off and just running, but I was like, dude, there's a guy right in front of me riding this whole thing. I can't get off and run. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I mean, it took a lot of swerving around to find a line that was rideable, but I think, I think if you did that, you could actually find enough traction to make it up the whole thing. I don't know what you guys, I don't know what you guys, your experience was. It was, yeah, for the women's race, I just messed up turning into it and, uh, I don't, I just got off on the line and, um, had to get off my bike there, but then I got back on and rode the rest of it and the two girls that were around me rode the whole thing so it Mm. was i mean it was not easy (laughs) um just Mm kind of hanging on trying to find any traction you could but um but the people around me were riding it i mean i think i even saw a picture of keegan running part of the fire tower climb which i don't i mean i don't blame him considering those tires but (laughs) like uh yeah, I, I don't know if conditions were kind of changing throughout the race. Like you said, you, you didn't even get rained on, so... Um, yeah. Yeah. I heard from the amateur race, it was, like, dumping on them there, and it was just, like, a river was, like, coming down it, where for us it wow. was just torn up, sure. and but there mm-hmm. you could sort of ride it. So, so Josh, so, so my fire tower climb experience was kind of funny, actually. So... Uh, the conditions were so different than when we pre-rode it that I didn't even know I was on the fire tower climb. Like legitimately, I didn't know um, until I got like three quarters of the way up and I could hear like the chainsaws and like people like banging on drums and stuff. And I was like, I was like, there's people at the top of this thing. Like they're, 
am I on the fire tower right now? Cause like literally like 30 seconds before that I was like grinding in my 50 tooth and I was like, man, if this climb is this hard, like fire tower is going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sure enough, I was on fire tower. Um, and then I got to the top and I yelled and I was like, Hey, is this fire tower? And they're like, yeah, it's fire tower. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Um, that's just like how different it was. Cause we pre-wrote it the day before that, like, I didn't even recognize it. Um, yeah. and I couldn't see my computer or anything at that point. Cause it was way too muddy. So I just like, I don't know. I just like, I thought I was like a mile before fire tower still. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what happened, but, um, I did have to hop off like at the very bottom, like in the, in the initial incline, kind of the same as you, Jenna. Yeah. Um, I think I like got off the line right away. And like tried to get like way outside and got into a rut or something and couldn't get out of it. Um, and then I like I was able to hop back on and, and rode the rest of it. But uh, it was like, it, I mean, it was like most you know fifty tooth most of the way though. It was definitely grinding and slipping and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell that you um, you said after the race. So tell us about what what happened with the puddle. <laughs> oh dang uh, we, we lost, lost him yeah. mid story too <laughs> bummer cool any more uh any more cool stories from from the race no. i only saw a couple i probably only saw like three crashes maybe four um none that were like super bad but mm-hmm. a lot of the ones were like it looks like it's slow motion like you can tell they're gonna go down but like it's just like you're just waiting for that moment for like you know kind of push over that edge and then like boom hit the deck. Um, but luckily like no one, I don't think anyone got like seriously injured out there or anything. I mean, the conditions were super challenging, but luckily everything was like really soft too. That was another thing. Like in the pre-riding, uh, the course was super bumpy. Like I was talking about, and I actually felt like the rain and mud made everything smooth out. Um, like it was yeah, it slippery it and everything, didn't really but feel that bumpy. Yeah, it didn't feel bumpy. And I think it's because all the bumps were more like, just like the dirt was like, like lumpy so then Mm -hmm. once it got soft you just like kind of roll right over it like it wasn't it wasn't rocks and roots or something like that that was still there probably the two thousand riders that went through it before us (laughs) yeah yeah that helps yeah it'd be super nice if next year they would just run those two thousand riders like through our start too (laughs) because like the start was so slow because the grass was so long and not not matted down or anything yet um but hey, so before we wrap it up, so I, I want to hear from both you and Jenna and Josh, I want to hear like what your thoughts are on how the race might be changed kind of like forever after this year. Yeah. If so, like if you think so, because I heard a lot of people after the race, like some of the big names, like from the Lifetime Grand Prix or some other bigger name riders, um, like Ryan Standish was saying like, a bunch of people said that they definitely want to come back to this race. So even if the Grand Prix isn't, you know, if the, even if Schwamigan isn't part of the Grand Prix next year or in future years, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, felt like this was a race that they want to come back to regardless. Yeah, I hope it, um, yeah, brings a little more recognition to Midwest riding. And I know <laughs> it's not single track, and uh, but I hope that some people got a chance to ride the awesome trails that are the course goes right by if you looked in the woods at all while you're pre-riding i'm sure you saw some of the trails um but yeah i think you know this race has i think it'll just be on people's radar a little more nationally than um before Mm -hmm. but with uh trek always being a big sponsor like they've you know sent their factory team before to it uh the first year i did it 
they had a couple of their factory racers there. So sometimes you get something from that, but I hope that, yeah, more people just, just know about it or have a little bit more respect for like Midwest racing. And then like we have some strong, strong riders and strong fields in the Midwest as well. So. Yeah, I would agree with Jenna on that. Like it's, it's a, it's a weekend worth like traveling to and like being there for a couple of days because after the race or before the race, you can go ride single track and like, it's some of the best like cross country single track in the Midwest. And probably like, I mean, I haven't done much single track around like, the, like the nation, but, and maybe my, I'm a little biased, but it's a, a super great event. And like, if it's not a lifetime Grand Prix, I hope that that event, like, I hope there's nothing else like that happens in September, like mid September that is a lifetime Grand Prix that we lose, um, participants because I think the caliber of riders there this year is only going to bring in more people to want to do it. Um, and I think that's really important for that area. So, yeah, I wonder yeah, if, uh, yeah, I wonder if, um, the lifetime grand prix if they continue to run the lifetime grand prix if they're going to switch up the races that they use or if they're it's kind of like always going to be these six races well yeah like I, i'm like curious because like adam jenna and i all did lutzen 99er and like mm-hmm. that it's a tough race i don't know if it's like on the caliber of like all the lifetime grand prix events that are happening this year but like it's definitely a tough race and that's also a really cool destination. There's really cool mountain bike trails up on the North shore of Minnesota. So yeah, I don't know. Like it's curious. I'm curious, like if, yeah, the lifetime Grand Prix like exists next year and if they will be changing any of the races or not, I feel like, because mm-hmm. like Schwamigan so different from all the, all six races. It's very different. Yeah. yeah. I, I was su- like really surprised when they, when they chose Schwamigan for this yeah. year, uh, and I think it's cool. Like it, obviously we got to see, you know, something like Keegan getting, you know, dethroned because of, you know, the, the nature of the race and stuff like that. Um, and makes everyone stay on their toes training wise and preparation wise. But, um, I, I would have thought that Lutzen 99er would have fit the bill for, for the, you know, the, the rest of the series better. Yeah. So I was kind of surprised that they chose Schwamigan. Um, and I, I agree. I think that would be a good event. Uh, it, and, and it would be crazy to see how fast some of the times could be there if, you know, if, if a sim- similar caliber field was, was brought to that race. Um, but I don't know, like, I, I know when they initially came out with the series, they, they had said that there was going to be four kind of core events that they would build the series around. And then the other two, uh, would, would kind of oscillate from year to year. Um, sure. but I've also heard some rumblings that they're going to expand the series into, uh, including more events. Okay. So I don't know if maybe, like you said, Dylan, like these are going to be like the core six and they're going to add some more events for future years. Uh, it's kind of hard to say, but, um, I, I think it's super cool. I, I think it'd be awesome to see, uh, you know, more national caliber fields come back to Schwam again, even if it's not part of the series, I think it makes all of us better for it. Um, you know, definitely forces us to elevate our games a bit. If we want to stay in the competition, um, you know, at bigger fields like that. Um, and you know, I, I think it, it adds something for the amateurs as well. You know, 
maybe there's going to be, you know, people outside the Midwest who want to come to this event now because they've seen it on this national scale and showcased, um, you know, it's not going to be just the Midwesterners who, who come back, you know, it'd be cool to see this be a tradition for, for people outside the Midwest too. And, uh, yeah, kind of show off, you know, how we do things up here. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious if like, it'll ever go back to like the mass start. It was, um, I don't know. I heard like a bunch of rumblings this, this past weekend, like people like saying that they like the pro start. And then there's like people that don't like it, like just like strictly amateur racing, uh, like amateur racers. Um, so Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just curious, like how much more trauma it would change. Um, I think I think the I think the natural or the neutral rollout should still exist. To be honest, um, I I completely um, agree. I, I hated yeah. that start. <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously, like I understand why they do it because like it just makes it so it's not as chaotic. If we hit rolls just field, but like that's kind of the fun of the rollout is because you have to be positioned really well going to Rosie's field, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I think I think it was like a logistical thing too, with like having to then close the road again, like later in the afternoon, um, and you know get police escorts and uh, things like that going through, you know, the stoplights and stuff like that. So I, th- I think it was, I think it was both. I think they wanted to maybe try and like, even though a neutral rollout is supposed to neutralize the start of the race. Um, Sometimes it doesn't actually like if if you if you just do a mass start the way we did like you know straight you know all out start like the fast people are going to be at the front the not fast people are not going to be at the front yeah so like uh, it kind of sorts things out pretty quick um, but yeah I mean I don't know maybe there's like a way that they could find a happy medium do like a shorter neutral rollout or something not have to start in town and go through busy intersections and stuff but start on another side of the road or maybe there's a dirt road that they could start on anything, but like the XC startup, the, you know, soggy, wet, (laughs) slow grass climb. It was terrible. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is you can, you can start on Wheeler road where the, where the, um, race started this year and just go on to 77 from there. I mean, it's not as long of a rollout, but at least you're on like pavement. I don't know. I'm I'm not like really complaining that much about it. It just, I have to change my training for next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, uh, the mass start first, the mass start versus a separate pro start is like kind of something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast and whether or not that should be implemented across, uh, lifetime grand prix races or not. I, I've personally argued that they should do a separate pro race at unbound oh, sure. for multiple reasons. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that. Like, is that, should that be some sort of policy or do you like the mass start? Cause I feel like it's pretty split. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. The, um, the mass start, I did it several years as a mass start. And I do like when the women's field's not very deep, it's really fun to race with the guys. Uh, it pushes mm-hmm. me to be better and it's just, it's really fun. But, um, there's been some really horrific crashes at the start of Schwamigan. Uh, you get yeah. that many people with wide mountain bike bars. And when you turn on to 77, there's a divider in the highway. And so the field has to split. And even though like it's sort of neutral when you go down, well, it's neutral when you go down main street, but you hit 77 and the four wheelers or the motos just go wide open. So 
there's always people from like wave two that are trying to get up to wave one and think they're going to win the race in the first few miles. And so I don't miss like those horrific crashes, (laughs) Um, but which unbound deals with that as well. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of that at unbound too. Yeah. Yeah. It's sketchy. I would like to see them do a different finish. Um, would, I think them starting the pros separately, uh, they, I almost thought maybe they're trying to kind of go for what Iceman does yeah. where, you know, they start the pros later in the day, but the Iceman finish is cool. Cause they loop you through this like campground and there's just people all over, but the people get to see you more than once a lot of times. Cause you like go over this bridge and then under it. And, uh, I think the Schwamigan, you, you know, you finish on that downhill and it's just like you come around that corner and nobody really barely gets to see you. Uh, you're going so sure. fast. So it would be cool to have a little bit more. The old Schwamigan finish, we actually dropped down into this bowl and then kind of had a little riser. Like if you were close to someone, you could kind of sprint them up this hill before the line. So I do miss mm-hmm. the old finish a little bit. I, I agree with you 100% on that, Jenna. Yeah, just for the spectators to see, like if they saw you, come in once but then you had to like loop around like the venue or something before the finish they could that would be more exciting i think all right well lifetime if you're listening got some suggestions for maybe how we could spice it up in future years dude they've been reposting the podcast so i don't know if they just repost it without listening or if they give it a listen before they repost it they should probably listen before they repost it and if you are listening let us say anything gnarly (laughs) yeah Sweet. Well, this has been awesome, guys. Appreciate you guys coming on, giving your your takes on how things were awesome and different and epic and super hard this year. And yeah, hopefully some more fun to come. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun.